Hello, and welcome to another edition of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. I'm Craig. Today's uh, episode is uh, Wes Craven's new nightmare. We kicked off this podcast watching The Nightmare on Elm Street. We thought we'd revisit Wes Craven and uh, check out what was the last film in the Nightmare on Elm Street series, if you don't count Freddy vs. Jason. Right. Which I don't. Do you Do you consider that? Yeah, I mean, I do. <laughs> you haven't even seen it. I have haven't, you? so maybe I shouldn't speak until I've seen it. It's really not bad. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just wondering, is it part of the canon? You know what I mean? I would say so. I mean, yeah. it, it's still got Robert England. You know, you still got the real Freddy. I think if it were uh, not Robert England, I wouldn't count it, but... He does a good job. It's not a great movie, but really? it's, it's fun. It's 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 a fun ride. Well, it's one people have been waiting for for a while. So oh, a it long had to time. happen at some point, like Alien vs. Predator. Oh, right. Yeah, they had been <laughs> wanting to make it since, like, part three of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street came out, but there was all kinds of problems with the studio and whatnot. And actually, Paramount owned the rights to uh, the Friday the 13th properties, mm-hmm. and New Line couldn't get their hands on them, so they couldn't do the crossover. Well, I guess eventually when uh, the uh, Friday the 13th series stopped performing well, Paramount gave it up. And um, it was also the same time that uh, Wes Craven kind of reconciled with New Line. I guess he had kind of had some issues with them for a while. There was some falling out. Wasn't it money? Was it money? I don't remember what it was. I think that they wanted him to write and direct uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3. And he agreed, but they couldn't come to an agreement on the script. That's right. The script that they submitted was darker and was uh, just not quite what they wanted. And so Robert Shade called in someone to do rewrites on that, right? Right, right. Was was Frank Darabond involved? I don't remember. Anyway, yeah. And so they did rewrites on, and I guess they weren't happy. I guess Robert Englund wasn't happy. Right. Sorry. um, Wes Craven wasn't happy. and. There was a bit of a who knows a kind of a falling out, which you know it's 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 unfortunate because I really I like Wes Craven's take. You know his original take was dark and and scary, and the sequels got into campy yeah. stuff, which was fine. I mean it was still fun, but it wasn't the same. Um, and so that you know at, at 1994, I guess, or right around that time, something happened, and and there was kind of a reconciliation between Bob Shea, the head guy at uh, New Line. And uh, Wes Craven, and even though they had been planning on doing a Freddy vs. Jason, Wes Craven had this other idea, uh, and it, it became uh, New Nightmare. The, the working title was Nightmare on Elm Street 7 Ascension. Um, Whoa. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> this one's kind of nice, because in a way, the title sets it apart from the rest of right. them by not giving it a number, and also by saying... New Nightmare. Right. Wes Cravens, you know, giving it back to the creator a little bit, but also showing you this is going to be a bit different from the other Freddy movies we've right. seen. Yeah, quite a bit different. And I love it. I'm so glad it happened. You know, I, I think it's just kind of one of those clandestine things that just right place, right time. And I'm really glad. You know, I like the whole series. Uh, I can sit and watch any of those movies. Um, the first one's great. The second one sucks pretty bad. The third one, <laughs> I actually love. Dream Warriors is awesome. Dream Warriors is fun. Um, the fourth one's not bad. Uh, fifth one, so-so. The sixth one was awful. And that was the one that they were going to end it on. Was that The Child or was that The Freddy's Dead? Uh, Freddy's Dead. Now, you know what I liked about Freddy's Dead, though? And, and correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't that the one Alice Cooper plays his father? Yeah, it is. And it kind of really takes it back to 
to his roots, and which is always a little bit of a mistake. Right. <laughs> a lot of these films, it's the t- there's always the temptation. You get along far enough that you need to go back and revisit the villain's roots, and somehow that takes a little bit of the teeth out of it. Right. Well, right. and they they kind of messed with the the time frame. Like they introduced that that Freddy Krueger had had a daughter, and so now the daughter had to like defeat him or whatever. Oh, yeah. Kind of goofy and silly. And then plus they went 3D at the end, and the effects were kind of cornball. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's still it's it's really cheesy, you know. In that last in part six, you've got uh, Freddie dressed up as the Wicked Witch of the West, flying around on a broomstick. Mm. Um, you've got Roseanne Barr and Tom Arnold playing this That's sticky right. kind of weird couple, and I, I just didn't love it. And it was kind of sad because you know you always these franchises they say oh it's the last one and you always kind of think yeah right we'll see but um, they really were kind of playing it up that this is it this is the they, they called it the final nightmare yeah. or whatever um, and, and we all kind of expected I mean by that point you're right the movie was bad enough and we would had so much of Freddy and he de- devolved really into this sort of campy ridiculous person that we all expected that to actually be the last right. night so when this came out it's like oh this is interesting uh, and then when the take on it became really a commentary on right. how the series had gone yeah. completely off the rails. Uh, wow, it was it was really the first meta, as, as far as I remember. Me too. Yeah, one of the first meta horror, at least one of the first meta horror films to really hit mainstream and be a big hit. Yeah, and people really kind of see it as being a precursor to Scream. Mm-hmm. Um which Wes Craven did, I don't know, just a couple years later, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and in both of those movies, it's one of the issues that it's tackling is what effect do these movies have on the real world? Um, and that's, you know, it kind of tackles that here in a fantastic way, but really interesting. And, and I remember, you know, this was 94 that this came out, so I would have been like a sophomore in high school. And it was before, I, I think we had the internet, but it was like in the really early stages yeah. and like I didn't have it at home or whatever. And so I didn't know that this was happening until I think I saw a preview for it. And I just remember just being giddy with excitement because <laughs> uh, I loved these movies. My dad would take yeah. me to see these movies in the theater when they would come out and they came out really fast. You know, um, I think the original was in um, 84 and so New Nightmare kind of marked the 10th anniversary yeah Yeah, and in that time in 10 years they had 7 movies I mean that's that's kind of crazy yeah that's almost one movie a year Mm -hmm. really and or at least you're always looking you you, there's always a new one in production because it's the series that made New Line right right exactly the house that Freddie built yeah was a brand new uh, brand new uh, almost failing actually Uh Uh, it doesn't take long for a movie studio to st- start getting in the in the red, and uh, the original Nightmare on Elm Street really blew them out of the water. And I think this was always their crutch, at least for those ten years. Well, we got to keep a Freddy movie going, you know, in the same sense maybe that that the movie takes this theme. New, I, you know, you have to imagine that the feeling at New Line was. We will only survive if we keep telling right. these stories. Yeah, you know? <laughs> right, absolutely. And and you know, I, they were. It made sense. You know, it talks about it in a New Nightmare that uh, Freddie was. It was huge. You know, he was everywhere. Heather Langenkamp in the film at some point says, uh, you know, Freddie's like Santa Claus, like King Kong. You know, all the kids know him. And you know, those movies were huge money makers. But as they continued to decline in quality, I think they started to make less and less money, and they yeah. kind of just gave up on it. And then this came back around. 
And I think by that point, some people had lost a little bit of faith and it didn't do as well in the theaters as they expected. But since then, you know, it's really developed this big cult following and a lot of people, myself included, cite this as maybe my favorite entry in the whole series. I mean, uh, I it's close tie with number one. This one and one. I mean, and you know, what's a little different about this one is I was thinking I was watching it this time around. And really, the original's not that dated, but it kind of is. This one holds up today. Uh, this could have almost been made yesterday. Yeah, I think so too. And there are some effects and things, particularly in the final act, that are a little hokey. You can tell that they were restricted by their budget a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I forgive that because the idea is so clever and because it takes it in such a different direction and it really tries especially in that third act to really do something that it's never done before and really make, you know, this kind of huge finale, um, as opposed to, you know, a scary guy chasing a girl around in a house, you know, it's a lot bigger as far as production is concerned. And I think it was a success. Yeah. You know, after the movie was over, I said to Todd, you know, it's not a perfect movie, but I love it anyway. Oh yeah. It's it's got its flaws. There's some kind of hokey moments, but overall it plays really well. And I really, really enjoy it. I have to say, uh, and I haven't seen this probably nearly as many, many times as you have, but I've seen it a fair number of times. In fact, I think I reviewed it a couple, either last year or the year before on my October uh, mm-hmm. you know, horror movie a month thing. And every time I see this, I appreciate it even more. And I think I just come to it at a different age and a different mindset that I see things hidden in the script. I see things in the story. I see themes that are underlying through. There are a lot of themes running through this that it just reminds me Damn, Wes Craven is a fantastic writer. He really is, and a great director. And, you know, I was watching this time around. This was made so close, you know, just a few years before Scream. And it's so clear. It's so evident. This is the same director. I mean, uh-huh. the same kind of shots, um, same kind of character development. Uh, and, and this one, I think what makes it so appealing is that it is that that the character they're characters that you really care about they feel like real people i mean yeah. they're they're setting it in the quote real world and so um you know we we kind of look at these people in a different way than we would look at stock characters that we had seen in some of the previous ones yes. and um i think that you know that worked and it worked well for me and you know my sister's been here and visited with us before she's not a big fan of horror movies she loves this movie really yeah this was one that i could get her to watch anytime i I think maybe there's even some appeal there for people who aren't necessarily hardcore horror fans i think you're right and another thing too that this movie does to cross over just a little bit maybe i should catch myself before i go (laughs) go go too far down this rabbit hole now that i think back through the movie but it's not quite as gory no. It's not quite as gross out as the other ones are. One thing that struck me about this film as I was watching it for the first time ever is that more so than in the other movies, he seems to really rely on real-life horrors in mm-hmm. this one quite a bit. It's not really toward the end that we get into the supernatural Freddy glove, people getting slashed and things, but we're actually tackling some really spooky stuff that we have to deal with every single day. Um, there's the loss of your father mm-hmm. or your spouse right or your spouse there's car accidents there's earthquakes um, earthquakes is, is a big one right going to the hospital and the scariness of a hospital mm-hmm. the scariness of a morgue and and having to to face that um doctors um so much of this is grounded in what we already are kind of scared of mm-hmm. 
and are really is really creepy. And so when it delves into the supernatural and it does so in these settings, it almost doubles the ante, I think. It yeah. kind of ups it a little bit. Yeah, and it's interesting. You said, you know, less gory. I think that this probably has one of the lowest body counts of any of the yes. Nightmare movies. Um, and really, much like in the first movie... Freddy doesn't really have a whole lot of screen time. No. Um, especially not until the end. I mean, he pops up a couple of times for a really short period of time in the first two-thirds of the movie, but it's really not until the final act that he's really a... a I mean, he's a key player throughout because it's the dread of, of him and what he is or what he represents that is building this suspense. But uh, he doesn't really show up in his full glory until almost, you know, the very last act. Yeah, it's the threat of Freddy throughout mm-hmm. the whole thing. Well, you're right. It's, it, it, it is a complete bookend to the first movie mm-hmm. uh, with the first movie in that Freddy is such an iconic character. He's such a big deal. Yet, unlike in the Jason you know movies, the Friday the 13th movies... He didn't start out as this, I'm in your face all the time, I am the main threat kind of character. He was always lurking in the shadows right. and in the dreams, and it was only as the, as the films kind of progressed. And I think that was really what Wes Craven had issue with, with his creation, was it did turn into camp mm-hmm. after a while. And it did turn, oh, here's Freddy in every scene, and he's almost a bit player along with the rest of them uh, in funny quotes yeah. and goofing off and playing around. It, for me, it didn't make... It, it didn't make him any less likable. You know, right. I enjoyed the character. I still do. And I like that aspect of him, which you don't get with, for example, you know, Jason, who's dead serious. Right. Or or Michael Myers, who's even dead or serious. Right. And, um, and they're more just, you know, kind of a masked killer, which is, is what Freddy was originally intended to be. I mean, uh, initially, they were just going to cast a stunt guy to mm-hmm. play him. Um, and I don't even remember how it worked out, but uh, Robert England, uh, you know, ended up in the role, and he really made it his own. And and Robert England's a, a great actor. Really I mean, is. You, you, the kind of stuff that he does now is is kind of more low budget indie. You don't really see him in the mainstream so much anymore. But you know, he really brought this character to life. And, and even that's even when he was playing it shticky, and even when he was playing it campy, it was still fun for me. But it was nice for me to see him be able to come back and do the scary again. Yeah. Uh, and it, it worked. I mean, it, he's scary in this movie. My question, did Robert Englund play Freddy in this movie? Yeah. Okay, he did. Yeah. Because he doesn't look like himself. He's clearly been bulked up a little bit, his face and everything. It's they intentionally... Well, obviously the makeup is intentionally different. Yep. Because we're trying to create a more real-world Freddy. We're trying to distinguish from the Freddy of the fiction into, well, here is the manifestation of the Freddy of the stories coming out. Right. It's a little different. But also, yeah, his face is fuller and bigger. Robert Englund's got kind of this narrow, skinny face. Uh And, of course, he's got the yellow eyes. Right. um, And he's dead serious. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he's not really quipping. But also, in the credits at the end, when it it lists everything, and Heather Langenklickamp, herself, Uh John Saxon, himself, it goes Freddy Krueger, himself. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, and, and, you know, all those changes were intentional. He wanted it to be slightly different, and he wanted it to be darker and scarier, kind of more of what he had envisioned initially. Um, Even uh, the new glove, uh, which was a a big deal for all his fanboys when this came out, um, that was really kind of uh, more of what he had had in mind in the beginning. Because it wasn't a glove in the beginning, wasn't it? Wasn't it a guy with either long fingernails or a guy with knives for for fingers or something? I think it it was just like a leather glove 
glove with like knives, like knife blades on oh. the end. In, in in part one and in the subsequent movies. Well, but but I mean, originally before the movies, wasn't it what when he originally wrote the script? Wasn't the glove a, an, a, an idea that came up before the first movie was shot, between the script and the movie? Yeah, I don't remember. I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, and, and maybe I'm going to have to go back and delete this out of the podcast no. to cover for myself. You could very well be right. I, I thought that the glove was a like a special effects person's idea. Uh, let's put him in a in a in a glove instead of giving him like knife knife fingers or whatever. Yeah, it could maybe. be. I'm not sure because this glove was it even a glove? Not really. I yeah. mean, this one is more. It, and that's where the movie opens up. Uh, you don't know. I mean, there's no opening credits, so you don't really know what's going on. It kind of looks like the beginning of Nightmare 1, except for that it's in, like, this this much darker, more gothic-looking kind of boiler room. Um, and it's the same thing. It's, it's Freddy making the glove. But yes. this time, it's more like an animatronic kind of thing with... It looks like it's got bone and tendons and, and partly mechanical. Uh, and then the, the guy, the special effects guy who's doing the, the acting takes a big butcher, butcher butcher knife or whatever and chops his hand off and puts the animatronic one on. Um, so it's it's almost like it's an update of that original scene. Yeah. And, and yeah, the, the different look throughout. His makeup is different. They did bulk him up. And, and Robert England's not a very big guy. I no. mean, he's he's not incredibly tall, and he's he's really thin. He's kind of a skinny, lanky dude, yeah. really, yeah. Um, and, you know, they you can tell that they... I, through costuming and through the way that they shot, like they shot him from down low a lot, so it would appear that he was much bulkier and more looming than he's ever appeared before. A little bit difference in the costumes. The yeah. the, the sweater is a little bit dingier, um, and it's almost muted because he has a big coat on. For yeah, most of it, right? yeah, like, and like a green fedora. <laughs> and it's like a it's like a prim and proper fedora. Right. It's not like the dirty banged up hat that he had. In the right. Other. He's got black leather pants. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very 90s, but... Uh, yeah. But, yeah, a new look. And, you know, that was what was so exciting when um, the, the preview came out. Um, there's a point uh, in the movie where Freddy pops out. It's one of the few jump scares in the movie. He pops out uh, and said, says, miss me. And uh, I, I remember seeing that part in the preview, and I was like, yes! We yes, do, I missed you so miss bad! You, and look at you, you look like a badass, and I'm so glad you're back. And, <laughs> oh, God, it was so exciting. I was so excited about this movie, and I wasn't disappointed when I saw it. No. Well, did you see it in the theater? I think so. Oh, yeah. I, I know I saw part six, so I can't imagine that I didn't see this. I was so excited about it. I don't it. remember if I saw it in the theater or not. Well... So you mentioned the beginning. Uh, they get this bio-organic hand, and it is instantly clear that we're not wa- we're watching the beginning of a movie being made, right? Uh, and so suddenly it's the director, more blood, more blood. So the guys back there pumping with the blood. Then we are introduced to the special effects person, who is uh, Chase, uh-huh. right? Yeah. And uh, he is back there with the guys, and they're kind of working on the special effects, and they're working on that glove, right? Mm-hmm. And he makes this comment. He says something about how it's a, oh, yeah, well, pretty impressive glove, huh? And I think his wife, uh, Heather, Heather Langenkamp, mm-hmm. playing herself, is visiting the set. I don't like that thing. That thing puts bread on our table. Is it alive, Daddy? Heather, you're Might in the next well shot. Might as well be, Dylan. State-of-the-art animatronics enhanced with bio-organic grafting, full tendons, nerve bundles from a live Doberman. <laughs> That's one of the sillier moments of this movie. I'm thinking, special effects people don't need to get that technical. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> All they really need is, like, 
string and stuff to pull, you know, uh, something mechanical, right, maybe, right. or things like, like they're like on the verge of these, they're like working with new scientific breakthroughs right. and bioorganics just to make this glove move on screen. This is kind of silly, but it brings to mind that idea that A, this is a new glove and B, um, he, you know, he was going to fuse it onto his hand and C, I really think that Wes Craven originally had him um, written, Freddie written as a guy with knives or fingers or long fingernails or something, and the glove was added later. So I feel like this was like a throwback. Gotcha. Like him coming back to it and kind of pulling that out and toying with it a little yeah. bit. Yeah, and it's it's cool. You know, it's 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 not a huge change, but it's, it's neat. It's a fun change. And just the whole, you know, as soon as... Um, Wes Craven himself yells cut and you uh-huh. see him on the screen and you see Heather Langenkamp there and you can see that you know these original people are back together making a new movie feels good <laughs> it does feel good and it blurs the lines and which is, I think is what this movie was trying to do anyway it blurs the lines between movie and reality mm-hmm. and and so much of what is in here is basically real. I mean, Heather Langenkamp is playing herself, an actress who's famous for this series of movies, uh, but whose career is not maybe skyrocketing the way that she might like. She's married to a special effects guy who Heather Langenkamp is married to a special effects guy. In, in fact, they asked her husband to, to play himself in the movie, but he turned it down. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, throughout the whole rest, we're introduced to Bob Shea, the executive producer, and just everybody who is involved playing themselves. And it just feels, I don't know, it feels so cool uh, we hadn't ever really seen anything like that no before. we really hadn't uh, there wasn't much of it anyway and certainly not in the horror realm right and it's interesting too because the nightmare on elm street series it plays between dreams and reality right this it, the movie is almost a stand-in for dreams right it, it plays between the the movie world and the real world and t- it, it bounces between so it's it's like this this inception layer, right? Right. You have in the film, you have the movie you know you're watching, you have the movie that they are making, and then you have the dreams that they're having about the movie that they're making. Right. And so now, you know, when you're watching the film, you're bouncing between all three of these, and it's uh, it's a little disorienting. Well, and the other cool thing that it does is it kind of wipes the slate clean, because it's taking it out of the realm of the movie... So we don't know if those movie rules still apply. Mm-hmm. And um, in some ways, they don't. Uh, like, you know, for example, in this in this movie, in New Nightmare, it appears that Freddy can kind of manifest even if people aren't asleep yes. um, at, at some points and in some ways. And it also seems like beyond just, you know, the physical character of Freddy, there's even more outside influence, like supernatural, like, you know, there's all these uh, earthquakes that have been going on. Yeah. Everybody involved in the production, and Heather doesn't even know that she's involved in the production yet. She doesn't even know anything about it at the beginning of the movie. She just thinks she's dreaming these things. Yeah. But everybody involved is experiencing these weird things. They're um, having weird dreams, they're getting weird phone calls, and it bends the rules, and so that makes it exciting, because you don't really know what to expect. Yeah. Yeah, because even that sequence that we see at the beginning, where that's the movie within the movie, uh, she's talking with him about the glove, and then the glove comes to life and starts tearing people apart. Mm -hmm. And you're sort of accustomed to, okay, this is the actual movie, this is the actual story, wow, we really jumped in with that fast, and then it turns out to be her dream. Right. Um, But she wakes up out of it, and not into just a safe... Uh, quiet bedroom, but in the middle of an earthquake. Mm-hmm. And that was a very interesting thread through this. And my understanding is that that was also uh, sort of a bit of serendipity, right? Mm-hmm. That The earthquakes weren't 
originally part of the script, or at least heavily part of it, were they? I, I, the, the earthquakes were in the script, oh. and they, they had filmed the earthquake scenes, and they were afraid that they had gone a little bit too over the top with the severity of the earthquakes. And then just a couple of weeks before production wrapped, those huge earthquakes oh, hit Los Angeles. Okay. So they sent out um, film crews to just film the aftermath of the actual real earthquake, and that's what they ended up using. And once they saw the mass destruction that that caused, they thought, well... Our scenes aren't too over the top at all. It's it's very oh, much yeah. real. Uh, and again, you know, kind of one of those weird coincidences in a movie shoot. More of the strange. meta, yeah. You know, the, you're bringing some reality into this fiction. Yeah, yeah. it's 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 really weird. And it, I'm sure it would have been weird for people. You know, this came out in 1994, soon after those earthquakes happened. It had to, you know, what a coincidence. Yeah. Very strange. But yeah, you know, so she wakes up, and it doesn't deviate from the rules entirely. It's not like it totally flips the script. I feel like it, it happens later in the movie, that, yeah. the, that the rules get uh, bent a little bit. Yeah, more gray area. But like, you know, her husband, the Chase, the effects guy, gets cut on the fingers by the glove in the uh, in the dream. And when they wake up, of course, the first concern is their kid. They run down to their kid. The earthquake quits. They're making sure everybody's okay. And the kid notices that his fingers are cut. And of course, just like in all these movies, they find some way to rationalize it. You know, it must have been something The broke, that fell or right. something. Right. Yeah. And um, Heather says, but you know, I dreamed it. And he says, well, you must have just been half awake. That's how dreams work. You, you still weren't fully awake and you saw me get cut and it kind of incorporated into the dream. But you can tell from the very beginning that she's totally on edge. Um, her nerves are just shot. Uh, and it's it's at that point, you know, he tells her that he's going off to do some soap commercial, yeah, or something, which is another cute thing. I, again, I think pretty pretty brilliant writing in that in her dream, you know, he's doing all this fancy special effects stuff, like a special, like like the Hollywood special effects artist you imagine is doing all the time, right? Yet in the reality of the of their world, now nah, he's going to do a soap commercial, <laughs> right? <laughs> he's got to go down there to make realistic soap bubbles, yeah. And that's like, yeah, that's probably how a special effects artist spends most of their time, right? Commercial probably. shoots, sure. and bubbles and coke and crap like that. <laughs> and so then I guess we get the this the premise of the story is that she's been getting these weird phone calls. She's got a stalker. Again, this isn't this is pulled right from real life. Heather Langenkamp had a stalker in real life. Somebody is, is obsessed with her from these movies. Um, and Wes Craven asked her, can I write that in? And she said, yeah, I guess. Mm. She's getting these weird phone calls. It sounds like Freddie. She's on edge. Her son, who... Uh, is played by uh, Miko Hughes, who we just saw a few weeks ago in Pet Cemetery. He's kind of acting strange, and she doesn't know why. There's, you know, more aftershocks the morning after. She gets one of those phone calls. Uh, it's like a pound, 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 pound of weird, crazy right. things happening to her. Right. Almost to the point where you also are getting a, a little tired of it, right? Uh, the cracks on the wall and the aftershocks mm -hmm. look like fingers. And then Dylan's acting weird, and he's watching the movie, and she goes downstairs... And then she shakes him, oh, and he starts screaming, and then the phone rings, and she answers the phone, and it's the creepy caller, and she hangs up again, then it rings again, and you're thinking, oh, she's going to pick it up, and it's like the delivery man. No, it's the creepy caller again, and she hangs up, and then Dylan says something creepy, and then the, the doorbell rings. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's like, when is this going to end? I know. Yeah, it's really <laughs> tense. At the door, it's just the babysitter, and she's this pretty blonde girl. I recognize this actress from some things, but I don't 
think she's a big name, but um, she comes in and she's trying to calm Heather down. Heather is going to uh, tape uh, like a talk show. Uh, they're going to be interviewing her, I guess, because it's going to be the 10th anniversary of Nightmare One. <laughs> and she kind of doesn't want to go because she's not feeling great, but she decides to go. And um, it's there's a funny part where uh, the limo driver, who's kind of this, I don't know, creepy, skeezy guy, <laughs> um, he's looking at her in the rearview mirror and he's like, You played that girl? In that movie. With the guy, with the... Yeah, sure. That's you. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's what I love about this job. I get to meet the stars. I'm hardly a star. What? You kidding? I love your stuff. <laughs> no, it's... it's I, I love all that meta stuff. You know, we hadn't seen... I, I think Heather Langenkamp has worked, you know, Probably here and there. Things, maybe um, on stage or something. I don't know. I mean, I, she comes from a family of creative people, and and uh, you know, she's she's still working. And she's right now they're filming a, a Hellraiser sequel, and she's in it. Oh, really? Um, but you know, her her you know, like with any of these horror movies, the, the Final Girls or whatever, they're usually not big name folks. They don't usually go on to do a whole lot more, um, and she hadn't. Uh, and so, again, there is some more meta stuff there where you're seeing into the life of not necessarily washed up. You know, they have a nice house and they get by fine, And but uh, she's not some big celebrity. Yeah. She's just a working actress. Yet she's <clears throat> willing to acknowledge it and she's willing yeah. to go along with it and she's willing to go on this talk show and talk about Freddie. You know, it's not like she's... Don't talk to me about Freddie anymore. Right. I don't want to. I don't want to deal with it. Which again seems a little more true to life. Right. Probably how that really is. And she goes and she shoots this talk show, and um, they the host is kind of obnoxious and asking her about her kid and asks her to say her kid's name, which would seem like a totally faux pas thing to do. Yeah, and she even kind of looks at the camera. And she's. I mean, there's an interesting moment there. Just and it, and it adds to this weird subtext of her family being in peril, uh-huh. where she knows she has a stalker, and so is she going to say the kid's name on right. air? But she. She's on the spot. Um. And so she does, um, reluctantly. Um, and, and the guy says, well, would you ever let your kid watch these movies? And she says, oh, no. No, I would never let my kid watch these movies. And he says, well, what about your co-star? Would you trust Dylan with your co-star? And she's like, Robert? I don't know. And he says, we got a surprise for you. And out comes Robert England in his full Freddy makeup. <laughs> comes out and the crowd goes wild and the crowd's full of all these kids and you know he's you know waving his arms in the air and the the light is like silhouetting his claw and everything and um, this too was based on uh, a real thing um, Robert Shea I think or Wes Craven one or the other was invited to speak at this forum about um, violence in films and and whatnot and it was you know concerned parents and their kids who were in the audience and when Robert England came out all the kids freaked out and were so excited and were screaming Freddy Freddy and I guess all the parents and the host of the event were like mortified because this was exactly what they didn't want to happen. You know, they wanted to show that these things were bad for kids, and here the kids are just absolutely loving it. Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> well, that that scene is really cool, and it's very well placed in the film, and it really points to what Wes Craven is trying to say. And, you know, Freddie comes out, like you said, and the kids addresses him, and he's like, hey, everybody, and he kind of runs up, and he's like high-fiving kids in the wall. It It's where the character has become a commodity mm-hmm. and where it is no longer... Um, true to the story it is oh it's 
Honestly, it's a little bit of what worries me about Disney having the Star Wars franchise. Yeah. Is that now we're going to see Darth Vader, you know, riding the rides at Disney World. And, uh, you know, it just dilutes the character right. to an extent by making all these public appearances and taking him out of the story and into this thing where he's signing autographs and talking to people yeah. instead of murdering them. And that becomes a significant plot point. You know, mm-hmm. the watering down of the character becomes a significant plot point later. But uh, Heather gets a call from one of the execs at uh, New Line while she's still on the lot and they say, Robert Shea wants to talk to you. He's really excited. Can you come in? Um, and she's like, okay, when? They're like, right now. Um, so she heads right over there and uh, she meets with uh, Robert Shea and he tells her, How would you like to join us in the definitive nightmare? I thought you killed Freddie off. Well, we did, but the fans, you know, the fans, God bless them, they're clamoring for more. I guess evil never dies, right? Anyhow, a few weeks ago, I got a call from Wes, and he pitched me this really exciting idea, and I started thinking, who better to resurrect Freddy than his creator? Well, I thought Wes stopped doing horror movies. (laughs) Do you know he actually told me he hadn't called me in the last ten years because he hadn't had any really scary nightmares? There is his inspiration for this thing. Anyhow, he's he's right in the middle of the script. Which means he's having nightmares again. Well, he's he's very excited about it. The nightmares? No, sweetie, the script. And you should be too, because you're the star. I don't know, Bob. I'm flattered, really. But I have a kid now, and... Well, so? So I'm, I'm not sure about doing horror. Oh, come on, Heather. Kids love horror. Yeah, that's a great line, actually, mm-hmm. uh, that he says. Uh, and she kind of brings it up later, too, when when she says uh, every kid knows who Freddy is. He's like Santa Claus, mm-hmm. right? But everybody's saying that throughout the movie. You know, the host is saying it. We're getting the physical manifestation of it with the kids in the audience and whatnot. And the fact that even though, you know, uh, that Bob Shea doesn't seem concerned. He's excited about it. I really like this this particular scene because you can tell... And this is just something I pay attention to because I'm interested in it. But you can tell when a sort of a non-actor is in the movie because they don't show their face a whole heck of a lot, right? <laughs> because, you know, they're slipping in the best line delivery and, uh, you know, they're getting the... Most of this is on Heather and on her reaction. Right. You get you get to see Bob Shea just a little bit, but most of his lines are spoken while the while the camera's actually pointed at Heather. Because, you know, he's not the best actor in the world. No, but he likes, playing himself. he likes popping up in these movies. He, he does. He cameos in... Um, uh, Freddy versus Jason too. Oh, is that right? Yeah. <clears throat> and there's lots of other good cameos in this movie too. Lynn Shay cameo. She was That's she right. played a school teacher in the the first movie. She plays a nurse in this. Well, we'll talk about more of them as we yeah, get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's kind of reluctant about it, and she says, "How long has he been? How long has West been working on this?" And he says, "I don't know, a few months." And she says, "Well, in that time, has weird things been happening?" And, and uh, Shay's like. What do you mean weird? And she's like, well, I don't know, weird phone calls or anything? And Robert Shea kind of gets this look on his face, and immediately the phone starts ringing, and he looks over at it. And you can tell that he's nervous or something. And she says, aren't you going to get the phone? He's like, no, that's all we have people around here to do. Somebody get the damn phone! Um, but it, it seems apparent that weird things are going on. Um, but, he, but of course, Bob Shea, the head of New Line, is thrilled about this and, and really wants it to go. Um, so I don't even remember. Does she say she'll do it? I... Um, no, she kind of says she doesn't want to do it. But then he reveals that her husband has been working on the new glove. Right. And so she freaks out about that a little bit. 
And there's another episode, I think, with her son, right? Uh, yeah, as soon as she gets home, she can hear the son screaming inside. And um, oh, that's the whole deal with the doll, right? Is that where... Yeah. Is yeah. that where the, the dinosaur comes in at that point? Right. Julie, the babysitter, is trying to calm him down. He's, like, thrashing and screaming. And so Heather takes Julie's place and is trying to calm him down. And I think he starts... He says, never sleep again. Or he starts saying the one, one two, two Freddy's coming for you yeah. or something. Um and she asked the babysitter, did you let him watch that movie? And she's like, no, I didn't let him watch anything. He was taking a nap. He started freaking out. And he says something, I think at this point, maybe not until a few minutes later, I don't remember, but he says, you know, I, I'm the man with the, the ugly old man with the knives is trying to get me, but Rex saved me. He's got this uh, stuffed Tyrannosaurus Rex, and um, the Heather pulls it out from under the blankets, and of course it's got the slashes, the slash marks in it. <laughs> And so she knows something weird is going on. So she calls uh, her husband and says, you need to get home. Um, and, and why didn't you tell me you were working on a glove? And all right. And he says, no, I can't leave because the other two special effects guys never showed up today. Those were the two guys that got killed in her dream. Ah, that's right. And they never showed up. Um, but she says, it's Dylan. You've got to come. And so he, he goes. Um, and, but unfortunately, he's driving, and it's late, late at night, and he's falling asleep at the wheel. Again, another one of those real-life horrors. Uh-huh. You know, it's one thing to just fall asleep and have Freddy come at you, but behind the wheels, when you can fall asleep and die in the, in real life. And this was the first time that I ever really realized that even if Freddy hadn't intervened, he probably would have died yeah. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He, I mean, he was falling asleep at the wheel, um, which is mort. I've done it. It's That's mortifying when you oh, kind yeah. of jerk awake from falling asleep at the wheel oh once when i was 16 and i I fell asleep at the wheel luckily i was just outside my neighborhood but when i woke up um i woke up because i was half in the ditch you know and i was riding the ditch Mm -hmm. i was i was almost uh, vertical Mm -hmm. there uh you know sideways and uh and that scares the daylights oh gosh yeah that wakes you up real fast (laughs) fast. (laughs) but But here's another one moment where robert england I, i mean Wes Craven really likes to throw in. Uh, he gets he gets a little sexual. He plays with your fears, and he plays toys with that a little bit. Where you've got Freddy's gloves coming up between his legs, and uh, the end of his uh, his uh, knife taps his crotch just a little bit before he jerks away. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, geez, as a man, you never want to yeah. do anything sharp. Here. <laughs> That's right, absolutely. Uh, but it, that's also very reminiscent of the scene with Nancy in the bathtub from the first movie. Yep, Comes yep. up between her legs and takes her under. Yep. Uh, a lot of thro- nods, actually, oh, to the original. Uh, none of the others, but the original right. for sure. Yeah, and uh, England, when he decided to do this, he sat down and watched all of them in sequence. Um, and when it was over, he said that he just couldn't even follow the storyline anymore. He had no idea. And that's kind of why he wanted to kind of start fresh and do something new. Wow. Um, and, and it worked. Craven, right? You meant what? Yeah, Craven. yeah. Sorry. I'm, I'm doing the... I'm, I'm <laughs> screwing you up, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. Um, so anyway, eventually Chase does fall asleep. The glove comes all the way out and, and slices clear through his abdomen and, and he crashes. The police arrive at Heather's house and tell her uh, what's happened and, and she wants to see the body. Yeah, um, She wants that proof that it's more than just a car crash. Yeah. And she goes, and it's so funny, <laughs> horror movie, p- the people who make horror movies must have a terrible fear of hospitals. Yes. <laughs> because every hospital in every horror movie is just this nightmarish place. She goes into what I assume is the basement of the hospital where the morgue is and there are just corpses just laying around That's in right. the hallway. And there's like screaming or something yeah. going on like somewhere, like somebody's moaning or whatever and it's like, it was Shouldn't that be like a unit or two up? Right, right. (laughs) 
insane. But then she meets the mo- the world's most unprofessional mortician, right? Who uh, seems uh, very surprised that she's there, even though they've clearly been told she's coming. And then when he takes her back to the view of the body, is not business like about it at all. He's he's like, uh, uh, kind of like, are, are you sure you want to see this? Right. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I want to show it to you. Okay, I will. And and I'm very surprised at every emotional reaction that you're having to this. <laughs> I don't know if he was an intern that day. Yeah, I don't know. It was a little silly, but uh, yeah. So she wants to see the whole body, and when she sees the whole body, she sees the slash marks on mm-hmm. his chest, and she throws up and and leaves. And she, you know, it's obvious that she knows something's going on at this point. And then I think I don't remember if it's the exact next scene, but it comes right up. We we cut to Chase's funeral. That's right. And this is another one of those cool parts where several of the actors from previous entries are, are there. Um, Tuesday Night from Part 4 is there. The guy who played Tina's boyfriend in Part 1 is there. Of course, uh, Robert Englund, Wes Craven uh, are there. John Saxon is there behind her. That's when right. you first kind of see him. Right, who, yeah. who played her father in the original movie. Funnily enough, I guess when they were shooting this scene, or when they planned this scene, Wes Craven wanted to ask Johnny Depp if he would do a cameo at the funeral. Oh, yeah. Um, um, but he he couldn't work up the courage to ask him because at this point Johnny Depp was a huge megastar, oh. um, so he, he he never got up the courage. And then they ran into each other at some event, some Hollywood event, and uh, Craven talked to him about it. And Johnny Depp said, "You should have asked me, dude. I would have totally done it." Oh, <laughs> man, what a shame, right? Right. But then again, if you would put Johnny Depp in this movie, you would have had to written write more right. for him. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we would have gone down a whole different scenario. I think Probably. if he had if he had talked, oh, you're willing to do this. You willing to do a little more? You're right. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you're right. At at the funeral, the wind picks up and there's another earthquake. Heather and her son are, are Dylan. sitting. Dylan are sitting in the front row with the babysitter. The earthquake is bad enough that it causes the supports on the coffin to break, and the coffin falls into the grave at an angle. Kind of opens up a little bit, mm-hmm. and she falls forward. Right. I don't even remember why she lunged for. She. I don't know if it was just a fall or something. I got the sense it was a combination of her standing up right when the earthquake was shaking, and she fell. Yeah, she yeah. fell as a result. And she falls and hits her head on this one of the supports uh, for the coffin. And when she and right away, as soon as she hits her head, the earthquake stops. The wind stops. She looks around, and Dylan is gone. And she asks Julie, where is he? And she says, I don't know. Um, and then she hears Freddie's laugh, and she looks down into the coffin, and Freddie is pulling uh, Dylan down through, like, an opening in the bottom uh, of the coffin. Um, and Dylan's screaming, and so she dives in the grave. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, dives down in there, and it's almost like a tunnel leading down. And she gets a hold of Dylan and pulls him out, um, but then her husband's body starts uh, sinking down towards them at the bottom, and he comes to life there for a moment and says to join, join me. Yeah, or stay with me or something, yeah. and he's, like, crying blood tears, and there's blood coming out of his mouth, and uh, she screams, and then she wakes up again where she was outside of the coffin. Yeah, and this is good because as you... I think I feel like at this point in the movie we're still getting very much uh, their excuses for them to fall asleep, and that's when the crazy supernatural stuff is right. happening. Right. Yeah. Which and, isn't fitting with the the way that it was envisioned. Right. Um, Robert England says something to her at the at the gravesite, like if you need anything. And again, it's it's John? just it's so strange. Yeah. You know, she's just encountered this nightmare of her own, and then to be face to face with the guy who 
personified it yeah. in, in the movies. She's very unsettled by it. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's just, it's very clever. It's mm-hmm. very clever. And and then John Saxon also kind of comes down and sits down and, and is being very fatherly towards right. her. Right? She doesn't, I guess, she, does she have parents? Is she supposed to? I don't to? know. We never hear anything about her we don't. parents. don't, yeah. But he plays his fatherly role almost from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, in being her older counselor, so yeah, and that leads right into what I think is the next scene. Um, there's a scene at this park where she and John Saxon <clears throat> are sitting on a bench, and she's telling him what's going on. That she's got this stalker. That she's having these weird dreams. She, you know, she says, you know, I have a history of mental illness in my family. I don't know what's going on. She said, my biggest fear is that. Um, uh, if I do have something that I pass it down to Dylan because he's been acting strangely too. And John Saxon says, well, he just lost his dad. You know, it's it's normal that he would be acting strangely. And all this time, Dylan's playing in the background by himself. There's lots of people around, but he's playing by himself. And there's this big, like, I don't even know how to describe it. Oh, it's it. the coolest thing ever. I actually had one of these. Did you? My, oh my gosh. It was, the, it was our favorite place to go when I was a kid. It was a playground, and it's this giant rocket ship uh-huh. uh, built out of poles, but it has multiple levels in there. So you can climb up to the first level, you can climb to the second level, and you feel like you're outside because you're essentially in a cage, right. but you're generally pretty safe. And there's even a spot at the very top in the cone where you can go up, except this is the world's most unsafe right. of these <laughs> rocket ships, because there's a window up there with with a grate on it that you can also apparently open. Right. <laughs> like, like, you would imagine that that should probably be locked. Um, but it makes for a cool scene uh, because Dylan climbs up there all the way on the top. And this thing is big. I don't know. What would you like? 20 feet oh, or, or it's, more? It's way up there. It's huge. I think as a kid, you know what? Looking back, maybe this thing wasn't any more than 15 feet tall, but it felt like 30. Oh, right. Sure. <laughs> and the way they shot it, you know, they're shooting it from below. So it looks like it's huge and enormous. Mm-hmm. And of course, Heather and John see him when he's up there and she goes running and he falls and she catches him just in the nick of time. And uh, he says, God wouldn't take me. He had had a conversation with her about where's daddy. And she said, heaven and um, all that stuff. So he, I guess he was trying to reach to heaven. And, but yeah. she, she caught him. Um, another, it's a cool scene, a scary scene. Yeah. And another one of those moments where Re- Freddie has nothing to do with it. And real life horror. Right? Yeah. Right. And, and that's really plays throughout here. I, I think it's impressive that a male writer would write so much to what is... I mean, it's not necessarily just female, but right. sort of your mother's worst fears are a thread throughout this film, the child in peril. And mm-hmm. of course, fathers are just, we talked with your dad about, right. you know, the, the horrors of your children being in peril. But I don't know, for some reason, we tend to associate it even more so with a mom. And in this case, uh, now a single mom. Right. And that's the other thing. She's dealing with all of this on her own. She doesn't have her husband to rely on. Um, interestingly enough, in, in some earlier drafts of the script, the, do- the father didn't die. They ended up killing him off just because they didn't have enough body. They didn't have a big enough body count. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So they killed him off uh, pretty early. Because that's a pretty, that's a big gut you, Yeah. Yeah, it is. You know? It's just random trivia about that rocket ship scene. Miko Hughes got to take that home. <laughs> no way. And, yeah. And it's, it was in his backyard for, oh. for years. Oh, man. I would have loved to have had one of those in my backyard. We used, to, we used to ride our bikes out to it. It was the video game place or the rocket ship. It was one of those two places when we lived That's in Texas. And I would love to see those back. Um, yeah, I'm sure there are probably all kinds of things wrong with them. Oh, I'm sure. You yeah. Know, it's too much metal on the playground yeah. where everything's plastic <laughs> and rubber now. <laughs> 
But going off of what you were saying, that is a bit of a gut punch. You know, you said it earlier about how we care more about the characters in this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, usually the first person that's off in a horror film is uh, whatever. Is Almost Susie somebody that you were wanting to die. Yeah, oh, if you couldn't predict it early on, you know. But in this case, it really kind of hurts that this mm-hmm. this guy who we kind of liked and who was being supportive to her and is a member of the family gets off. It really raises the stakes pretty early on. Yeah, absolutely. I feel. Well, uh, then uh, she goes home and they she has another dream. And it's interesting the way this scene plays out because as it's showing her in her bed, we're n- sometimes you're not sure if they're in the dream world or if right. you're seeing them go into the dream world. But they're these sounds. It almost sounds like a boat. This was just a real subtle thing that's not overplayed. But the picture seems to be gently rocking. Hmm. And you see the lampshades moving a little bit and the picture's moving just very slightly on the wall. And you're hearing those creaking sounds, kind of like the right. creaking of wood on a ship. And it kind of drifts in closer to her as this is happening. And I don't know if that's supposed to like symbolize, you know, drifting off into dream maybe. world or, or if we're supposed to equate it with maybe another earthquake's coming. But in some sense, anyway, she falls out of bed and because she hears uh, more screaming down, uh, she hears more downstairs and she goes downstairs and Dylan's watching the screen again. Mm-hmm. He's watching a scene from the movie, uh, but the it's unplugged. Right. And uh, and I feel like she didn't even notice that. No, the fir- she The didn't. first time she had caught him watching it, she yanked the cord out. And oh, then, that's and right. then there are there are at least two other times where the TV comes on and it's totally um, you can see the cord hanging on the front yeah. I don't think she even noticed I mean and you know she's concerned about her kids so it's not like she's looking at details but and this is the point it's almost a bit of a throwback to part two honestly where uh, Dylan has uh tied some knives or taped some knives to his fingers and he's almost possessed by Freddy or seems to be and he comes towards her and uh, raises his knives knifed hands and tries to there's a bit of a struggle maybe a little too much struggle mm. between her and her four-year-old son unless we're to think kind of like Pet Cemetery, where uh, right. you know he's got some supernatural uh, strength but in any case again another one of those very uncomfortable elements that Robert that, that Wes Craven loves to throw in these movies is the phone rings again after they were kind of calmed down, and she picks up the phone, and it's a throwback to the first movie with the tongue yep. that sticks out, and he goes, <laughs> I touched him. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's so creepy. Oh, my gosh, right? Mm-hmm. Like, ugh, there's every bit of icky about yeah, this. Yeah. And even, as <laughs> if that's not far enough. Um, she throws the phone down, and she goes and consoles Dylan, and you see another shot of the phone, and there's just like, white saliva oozing yeah, out of yeah, it you know it's frothing out it's so you know. sexually suggestive yeah uh, and and again it also harkens back to freddie being that child molester mm-hmm. that's what i mean there's just so many layers of unease that he he puts in here that are way more sophisticated than you than you tend to see yeah you know definitely but i touched him yeah you know <laughs> and there's really you know the, as as spooky as that is just knowing that he's that close is scary but <laughs> to say uh, about say a little boy way. to say yeah. I touched him you know that <laughs> that's that's spooky it's, it's and it freaks her out and then and Dylan's freaking out too and and maybe even throwing up or something yeah um, he was having like a seizure type thing right almost, uh, so th- this is the point where she ends up taking him to the hospital that's right? correct and of course when they get to the hospital the nurse is asking all kinds of questions because she did wake up with knife with you know four four knives across her or is that in the that's it's, it's oh, that's, in the, later. that's later okay um, at, at some point I, I think it was even before she took Dylan to the hospital she called Robert England and asked him if anything was going on weird in his life he's like what do you mean she's like well are you having bad dreams or whatever and all this time we're seeing him 
kind of from behind an easel, and he's painting. He's clearly like a painter now. Yeah. Like he's made I, so much money, all he could, all he has to do at home in his big I think that paint. Robert England really does paint. Does he? I, I, I wonder. I think he does. Um, but uh, he's, he's clearly really intent on what he's doing, and um, she says, you know, I've been dreaming about Freddy, but he's different, and he says, do you mean, like, darker and more evil? It's like, yeah, how'd you know that? He says, call it a guess. Um, and she says, I want to talk to you. Can I come over? And he says, uh, I'm, I'm busy, uh, right now. I have something I need to finish. Right. It'll have to wait. And he's just, he's dismissive. You know, he's clearly distracted and eventually he just hangs up. Um, and then we spin around and see what's on the canvas and it's this new scare. I mean, it's not like a photograph. It's stylized. It's stylized, but it's the new scary Freddy. So obviously he's been having these dreams too. And I'm kind of glad it ended up getting cut, but there was supposed to be a scene where Robert England had a Freddy nightmare. Oh. And in the nightmare, I think that concept could have actually been really cool, yeah. but the, what they had scripted was that he, Robert England, was going to be like in this giant spider web, and then it was going to be a giant evil spider Freddy uh, that was coming to get him, which seems kind of hokey. And they they decided it didn't really fit with the tone of the rest of the movie, <laughs> so they got rid of well, it. Well, it's a little more sinister in that Robert England then sort of disappears. Mm-hmm. It's he like the disappear. more Freddy comes into the real world or becomes more part of the picture, Robert England as a character is gone mm-hmm. and mysteriously gone. Uh, not, not that there's ever any implication that Robert England has gone crazy and is no. killing people. It's just... This bizarre, and it, and it works. It really almost needs to be that way. You can't have Freddie and Robert England sharing a scene together. Probably not. You know, you just it doesn't work, right? But yeah, but he's gone after that, and I think even she tries calling him later, doesn't she? And, and the message, message, yeah, it says we're out of town. You can leave a message if you want to, but we're going to be gone for a long time. <laughs> Like, what is that all about, right? I think the implication is that he's kind of running from it. Mm. Um, And again, there was another thing in the original script where uh, Robert Shea was doing the same thing, that he was kind of on the run. He was having somebody drive him around in this van to try to get away from (laughs) Freddy. But they they cut that, too. Well, it's almost implied, you know? You don't need to. You can imagine that. Right. Everybody is going through this Mm -hmm. once you've established that everyone's going through it. Well, and I think it's almost better to keep the focus on Heather. Yes. Uh, I think it would get a little bit too diffuse if you started messing with other people's stories. And I like the focus on her. Her and her family. Uh, It keeps it really centered. She takes them to the hospital, and um, like you said, the the doctors and nurses are asking all kinds of questions that you know because they've heard him say stuff about a a scary man. And the doctor says, "You surely didn't let him watch your movies, did you?" I don't know who the actress is who plays this um, this doctor, but she's she's tall and she's you know she's definitely this big presence, and she is really condescending. Yes. To Heather and accusatory to an extent that really seems unprofessional and, and not realistic. Yeah. But this character is based on the president of the MPAA, who was like the bane of Wes Craven's existence. I mean, they butted heads at every turn. Um, this guy, the president of the MPAA, who does who do the uh, the ratings, would always make him make serious cuts uh, to his movies, and he just he hated the guy. <laughs> uh, so he, uh, the, the doctor's last name is that guy's last oh, name. Oh, no way. <clears throat> oh, that's very interesting. And, and explains why she's such an unlikable character, and mm. she talks so much about the effect of these movies on children and whatnot. She does, although you do get this, at least at the beginning, you get this idea she 
she's also wondering if there isn't some abuse going on mm-hmm. as well, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, she, the Heather's coming in with cuts on her arm, you know, the scary man thing. But then there's also that subtext that we've heard earlier that Heather's afraid that whatever psychosis may be in her family has, be, has been passed down to her son. Mm-hmm. And then we hear the whole sleep deprivation thing. Right. And we realize that her son has actually been trying to stay awake uh, all this time. He even hides the sleeping pill after they leave and when they give it to him. Uh, wow, it's it's really kind of complex. It is. What's, what's going on in this family and, and how everyone's dealing with this. And it's played in a very subtle way. In, when I say subtle, it's not like, you've been sleep. Oh, I'm not going to sleep. You know, there's there's none of that. Right. Uh, it, you just see her sipping coffee mm-hmm, every now and mm-hmm. then. You can tell she's trying to stay awake. She's not telling anybody she is. Right. But we know. I mean, they don't need to go out of their way to yeah. set that up. We know what's going on. We know why they're doing that. That's consistent with the rest of the movies. And it makes sense that they would do that if they're having these terrible nightmares. Yeah. And, it, and then what the kid is doing, which is this sleepwalking, makes sense. Because she starts reading about sleep deprivation and b- b- right in there. Uh, it can lead to these sort of psychoses mm-hmm. that manifest itself in the sleepwalking and an odd erratic behavior. It's exactly right. so you're getting a, almost a very natural explanation as a uh, that, that counteracts the super. You know, there's always it's always nice to throw a little doubt in there. Right, right, right. Could this be a natural explanation uh, instead of the supernatural? What's happening with her son? Well, but around this time, it's when Dylan's in the hospital. Um, because she can't get a hold of Robert England, Heather goes and visits Wes Craven yes. and talks to him. I love this scene oh, so much. So good. Um, Wes Craven is so subtle. You know, like he's he's not an actor, but he just plays it naturally. I mean, I guess he's playing himself and yeah. he knows how movies work. So he knows about angles and all that. But it's just, you know, he's so... Not laid back isn't the word, but he's just so underplayed. And he explains to her what's been going on, that he had these, it it had been a long time, but he had a new nightmare and he started writing it down. And he just has, you know, a scene will come to him in the night in his nightmare, he'll write it down the next day. He doesn't have any control over it. Then he tells her kind of this lore uh, about this ancient evil and he says, you know, that's that's what I'm dreaming about. That's what is behind this. And she asks him to explain it, and he does. And it's it's such a cool concept. It's existed in different forms at different times. About the only thing about it that stays the same is what it lives for, really. What is that? Oh, the murder of innocence. But this is still a script we're talking about, right, Wes? Yeah, well, I sort of think of it as a nightmare in progress. Well, in this nightmare in progress, then, does this thing have any weaknesses? Well, it can be captured sometimes. Captured? How? By storytellers, of all things. I mean, every so often they imagine a story good enough to sort of catch its essence, and then, for a while, it's held prisoner in the story. Like the genie in the bottle. Exactly. Exactly. But the problem comes when the story dies, and that can happen in a lot of ways. It can get too familiar to people, or... Somebody waters it down to make it an easier sell, you know? Or maybe it's just so upsetting to society that it's banned outright. However it happens when the story dies, the evil is set free. Right. It's like bam, bam, bam. It's like the stuff that probably pissed Wes Craven off about his character. And right. His character got watered down. And it's also the very real fact that they stopped making the movies about mm-hmm. him. Eventually he's going to go away, which would potentially release this evil. Right. And it's, a, it's such a clever concept. It really is smart. Um, and, and she says, well... Now that the movie's over, what's he doing now? And he says, well, he's gotten used to being Freddy, and he likes being Freddy, and so he wants to stick with that, and he wants to cross over into our world, the real world. 
Um, and she says, like, well, can he? And he says, well, he can, but he's got to, there's a gatekeeper. There's somebody he's got to get past. And he says, and it's you. It's you, Heather. And she said, what are you talking about? Why me? It's because you were the first one to defeat him. You were the first one to take away his power, to humiliate him. And so he's got to get through you in order to get back into the world. And again, it's such a burden for her. You know, yeah. she doesn't, she doesn't want she any doesn't of want this. It. Yeah. Well, um, again, it is a burden like her previous role was a burden, uh-huh. right? It's like, uh, I'm kind of done with Freddy, uh, but it's ca- haunting me through the rest of my life. Well, and thank goodness, you know, Heather Langenkamp was willing to come back and do it because it really kind of hinges on her. It does. Um, if they hadn't been able to get her, I don't think that the story would have been nearly as effective if they had tried to use somebody else um, from one of the other films or something. No. Um, but, and... And again, you know, we t- when we talked about Nightmare One, it's not like I think Heather Langenkamp is some sort of Academy Award, you know, worthy actress. Um, but she's likable, and you feel for her, and you see in her face when she's told this, like, why me? Yeah, <laughs> like, right. Just leave me alone. Well, she's still girl next door. Uh-huh. You know, she doesn't look up to the task at all. She just wants to be left alone. She wants to be normal. After he tells her all this, she gets angry because she says, "Well, you knew." It was the implication that he knew that her husband would die. And he says, I swear I didn't know. It was just a dream. It's just a script. I had no idea. And he walks over to his writing area, to his computer. Um, and she says, well, what happens now? And he goes, well, I, I guess it all depends on whether or not you're willing to play Nancy one more time. And it scrolls down to the screen where the conversation they've been having is scripted out. And at the bottom, after that line, it says fade to black. And it, it fades, fades to, to black. black. <laughs> that is so, so clever. <laughs> so clever. Yeah. I, oh, man, that is that I just I love this movie. I really do. At this point, she knows what's going on, so we're really getting getting into final act. Yep. Um, she runs back to the hospital where she's being questioned by the doctors. You know, um, they even call security. You know, now. Freddie has appeared to her once in her bedroom and they kind of had a scuffle and she's got these cuts now and the doctor wants to know where those came from and basically the doctor thinks she's nuts. The man from your films? Freddy Krueger? With the claws? Is that who he's afraid of? You have let your child see your films, haven't you? Every kid knows who Freddy is. He's like Santa Claus. And it's true. I mean, it was so true at the time. You know, little five-year-old kids were walking around in Freddy Krueger masks on Halloween. It was hugely popular. I didn't see the movie, and I loved the guy. Right. I I bought a poster from a friend of mine, and I I paid, like, some money for it. And he gave, you know, it was, like, the first thing I ever bought off a person. (laughs) And and I had that poster at the foot of my bed plastered up on the wall. I had never seen the movies. I just... You know, he's an, he's an icon he on TV. Yeah, he's, he's as big icon. an icon today as Frankenstein or any of those other classic monsters. Yeah, but basically, what happens is they they restrain Heather in a room and they're asking her all kinds of questions about her mental state and whatnot. And the babysitter has arrived at the hospital and she's with Dylan. And Heather has told her, "Don't let them go. Don't let him go to sleep." So she's trying to keep Dylan awake. These two <laughs> nurses come in. The these, evil nurses. These evil nurses come in. <laughs> And they trick um, the the babysitter and Dylan. One of them distracts the babysitter, and the other one covertly gives Dylan an injection. It's like they knew this was going to be a problem, and so they worked out this scheme. Right. But what's so hilarious about it is the the one who gives him the injection. It's like just jabs it in yeah. his arm. <laughs> it's such a Hollywood. And then she gives Julia a look like, "Ha ha, <laughs> I gotcha." <laughs> 
<clears throat> this, is one, this is one of the sillier moments in the movie. but uh, It is kind of silly, but I also like it because then Julie decks the other one and just knocks her <laughs> to the ground and then grabs a syringe and is squaring off with the other one who has a syringe. And she says, I know what's in that one. What to find out what's in this one? <laughs> She's like jabbing it at her. She just runs, doesn't she? Yeah. So the nurses get out. So then it's just Julie and Dylan alone in and there. She locks the door. Mm-hmm. And Dylan um, starts to fall asleep, and she's trying, trying, trying to keep him awake. And here really is where Freddie kind of emerges in his full glory, in the new costume, the new look. Um, I mean, we've seen him briefly once with his encounter with Heather, but he just comes. He rises up from behind her, and Dylan can see him and is scared, and he says, Julie, behind you, and she looks around and she doesn't see anything because she's awake. But Freddy just slowly reaches up his glove and then just plunges it right into her back. And then we get a throwback to the scene from uh, the first movie with Tina. Yeah. Where um, he takes her up the walls, on the ceiling. Again, just like in the first movie, they recorded this in a, a rotating room. Uh-huh. Um, and it's, you know, it's a total throwback. And it's scary. You see this kid, you know, he's he's terrified. You can see it in his face and he's like frozen in fear. And his babysitter's up on the ceiling and Freddie's standing on the ceiling and the babysitter's reaching down and saying, help me. And he reaches out to try to help. And then Freddie like breaks her neck and she falls down to the ground and... Dylan screams. <laughs> he screams, Rex! <laughs> uh, and and runs off. That's a neat th- a thread that, you know, comes up time and time again in the movie about his dinosaur mm-hmm. keeping uh, keeping him safe. It's cute. Yeah, it's very cute. And and so they had managed to get in the room at this time. And and so now everybody's just stunned. Right. Like the nurses, everybody, even the, the, the big bad woman, uh, she just she makes no effort to restrain anybody. They're just like, uh... Uh, right. Dylan's gone. Yeah. So, oh, and, he couldn't be gone. He's so heavily sedated. And one of my favorite lines in the movie, Heather says, he sleeps off, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> He's fully capable of walking out of this hospital. And she goes chasing out after him. There is another part where she was trying to go visit Dylan and he was in a restricted area. And some nurse said, this is a restricted area. Do you have a pass? And she says, screw your pass. <laughs> Just like in the first movie. I love these That's throwbacks. Right. <laughs> Um, Except it was a hall pass at that time. Right, right, in high school. (laughs) She knows, because she had told Dylan, we're really close to home. It's just across the freeway. She pointed out the window, so she knows that's where he's headed. And then, so she goes chasing after him, and in fact, that is where he's headed. And because he's sleepwalking, Freddie can mess with him. And we get this whole scene on the freeway. It was all done with green screens, and you can kind of tell, but there's no other way you could have done it. Yeah. Um... With, you know, this little kid walking across the busy freeway, all these cars trying to swerve, and um, Heather eventually gets there, and she's, you know, trying to get to him. The cars are swerving around her. There's a cool shot where a semi, like, jackknifes and goes right over her head. Oh, man. Um, Meanwhile, Freddy's, like, huge and in the clouds and picks up Dylan with one of his claws and is, like, dangling him in front of the cars, and eventually he drops him. Uh, and Dylan goes off, uh, runs off to the other side of the road. Heather gets hit by a car. This is another thing. In movies, I love it that people just get nailed by cars and then just get up. And I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> this car had to be going, what, like at least 60? Oh, at least. <laughs> she, like, rolls up on the hood and bounces off and rolls 20 feet in front, but she's all right. Jumps up and runs after him. And the rest of them are just going to stand around like, oh, okay. Right. <laughs> we'll sort out the insurance amongst ourselves while you take off. She chases him back home. And when she gets there, she notices that there's a car in the front yard, or in the front, 
like drive and when she goes in the doors are open and the first person that she sees is john saxon and he's like heather what happened to you you know what's going on she says where's dylan he says he's fine he's he's right over there she goes over she starts hugging dylan and he john saxon says what's wrong and she says i know how chase really died it was fred krueger and he says yeah right and turns and walks starts walking away and he he tells her, leave Dylan here. I want to talk to you for a minute. And he, he walks her outside and he says, Nancy, you've got to stop doing this. And she says, why are you calling me Nancy, John? He says, why are you calling me John? And he walks a little further out of frame and he turns back around and he's back in the costume from the first movie, his, yeah. his cop costume. Oh, it's so clever. It is. And his cop car's right behind him. It's so reminiscent of that scene in the first one where she's trying to tell him what's going on, but he won't believe her. Same thing happens here. And it's at this moment that she realizes, now I have to make the choice. Am I going to do this or am I not going to do it? Yep. And she has no recourse. This guy's not going to help her. Right. Yeah. And meanwhile, in Dylan's bedroom, you see Freddy coming up under the sheet. Very reminiscent of the latex uh, special effect in the first movie. He's coming up. It's really, you know, spooky. And she, you know, the dad says, I love you, Nancy. And she kind of takes a breath and says, I love you too, daddy. Yeah. And that's when Freddie pops, you know, rips out and comes through the sheet and he's now in the real world. And um, the camera kind of spins around and we see that Heather is now Nancy again. She's in her pajamas from the finale of the first movie. Funnily enough, she and John Saxon both are wearing the exact same clothes, not replicas of the clothes from the first movie, no the exact costumes. Somebody had kept them and they got them back and were wearing the exact same ones oh from 10 years my previous. word. <clears throat> and this is where the finale happens. She goes in. Dylan's nowhere to be found. She kind of hears Freddie laughing and saying almost there, as he's been saying throughout. Um, but... Earlier in the movie, she had been reading Hansel and Gretel to Dylan, and she was kind of disturbed by how dark and scary it was, but he made her finish it so that they could talk about how they found their way home, and it was mm. breadcrumbs. So she notices one of his sleeping pills on the ground and realizes that he's leaving her breadcrumbs to find him. And they lead to his bed, and she looks under the sheet, nothing there, and then she realizes, oh, I've I got to be asleep. He's left me these so that I can join him. She takes the pills. She goes back under the blanket. And then there's that tunnel again. And she goes, she starts sliding down it. At first, it's kind of like sheets, like tented sheets. And then it turns into like the vents from the, uh, the, the boiler room. And then there's water and roots and all kinds of stuff in there. And this is when things get huge. I mean, it, it goes to a scale that none of the movies had gone to before. She, at the end of the tunnel, she comes out of this huge, enormous Freddy head. She comes out of his mouth and plummets, you know, what looks like stories down into this pool. And now we are in, like, this underworld. It kind of looks like a devastated ancient city or something. Yeah. And it's basically the set from the first part of the movie, just on a much more epic scale. Mm -hmm. And this is where the final uh, showdown takes place. And the set's very, I mean, it's like ancient Greece. Uh -huh. It's like we're really going back to what many would, you know, what at least iconically is sort of considered the dawn of storytelling, right? Right. And so, and on the walls are words carved in the stone like anger and lust mm -hmm. and all these elements that go into making drama. So it, it really is like she's coming into this world that is uh, representative of the root of storytelling. 
and that's where they're battling it out. It's yep. such a great idea. Uh, and, the, and there, Freddy is not as supernatural. Uh, he's a little supernatural. Let, let's put it that way. But he can be hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, he can be kicked around. And he doesn't have quite the control over the environment. Um, she ha- They also have control uh, over the environment right. to a certain extent. And so they're, again, kind of on this playing field in this ancient area. And uh, there's some chasing going on. And uh, she finds Dylan, finally. And they find the script. Yes. Um, for the movie. And she's kind <laughs> of reading about, you know, things that are happening in the moment. And then Freddie pops back up. And he beats her up a little bit and throws her around. Um, again, you know, it would have been super easy for him to just kill her. Boom, like that. But yeah. he kind of toys with her. And he knocks her. Dylan stabs him in the leg to, to get him away from his mom. And so then he throws her, like, in the pool. And uh, he chases Dylan around for a while. And he chases Dylan into this, like, furnace, I guess, or it's an oven. Of, you know, it's interesting. It's it's like Hansel and Gretel, right? Mm-hmm. But it's also the boiler room. Right. It's like... A perfect combination of the two right uh it really works it's it's a great great way that he set this up uh, and it was totally foreshadowed earlier with the reading of hansel and gretel exactly. and it makes perfect sense exactly and it goes right into that theme of this is you know these are ancient stories this mm-hmm. is what uh this is so this is where this this is the, his bottle this is the this is the genie's bottle right and freddie's the genie uh, and so Dylan goes into the the oven, and he's able to kind of go around the side of it because it's an oven with the fire mm-hmm. in the middle. And that's where he tries to hide as Freddy, who can't quite get in the oven, reaches in and tries to grab him. And you've got that arm extension effect that they've yeah. used in the other movies. And um, eventually Heather wakes up, and she's running to try to get to Dylan, and they do a throwback to that scene of her running up the stairs in her house in the first movie where the stairs turn into goo the same thing happens here <laughs> um, but eventually she gets to him and she stabs uh, Freddy I think and um, she yells Dylan get out of there Dylan kind of takes a side exit I guess yeah it's kind of weak isn't it there's like yeah. a, a hole but there's a ooh there's a, a snake, big snake in, the in it <laughs> hope he can kick that snake out of the way and... but he gets the snake out and they push uh, Freddy in and close the doors so he's stuck in there but he jumps up right behind the bars and shoots his tongue out and it's super long and it starts wrapping around Heather's face and neck again it's kind of a corny effect but it's in keeping I mean that's and again it, it plays with that kind of lascivious you know yeah. uh sexual undertone not only does it completely wrap around her face but then you see that it's also wrapping around her body underneath her clothes Mm -hmm. um dylan comes around with the knife grabs a hold of the tongue it's kind of funny the tongue's like struggling (laughs) he's eventually able to stab it and the tongue starts to retract back into freddie's mouth off of heather Uh, it eventually you know pulls away from the knife so that it's forked you know, it's interesting. Also, the iconography here. You know, the now tongue. he's got the forked tongue you right. know, in the in the fire. Which then, when they turn crank up the furnace, and he uh, explodes essentially. But he before that, he transforms into essentially a devil. Yeah, type figure. yeah. Almost like the root of of, of all uh, evil bad guys in the story. Right. You know? So we kind of it's really brief, but we kind of get a glimpse of that evil thing that he really is when he's not in Freddy form. Yeah, like arguably like the first story, Adam and Eve, yeah, the devil, sure, the short sure. tongue serpent. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's just a, he's another manifestation of all the bad characters in a bad story. Yeah, absolutely, and it makes sense, and it you know it's 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 cool. It's an interesting concept. He blows up again. You know, it's it's super fitting. Death by fire. Just 
just like, mm-hmm. you know, in the, in the original way that the man, Fred Krueger, died, the original way that Heather killed him, or Nancy, I guess, rather, in Nancy, the first yeah. movie. And Dylan and, and Heather run, and they jump back into that pool that she initially landed in. Everything, the whole world goes up in flames. The whole supernatural world goes up in flames, and uh, Dylan and Heather come tumbling out of the foot of Dylan's bed. And there's smoke. She looks under the sheets. There's smoke, but everything else is gone. And Dylan says, the witch is dead. <laughs> <laughs> and they, and they uh, see a, there's a script laying there. It was the script from the, yep. from the world, I guess, that mm-hmm. carried through with them. And she picks it up and flips to the end and can see. Well, there's, there's a note on the front, like oh, a post-it right. note that from says, what? Heather, thank you for having the courage to play Nancy one last time, Wes. Yeah. Um, and so she flips to the back and like you see the script, the note in the script and you see what's going to happen. It says, Dylan says, is it a story? And she says, yeah. And he, and you're seeing all this on the page as they're saying it, read me some. And she flips back to the front and starts reading him the scripts of the movie and that's it. As they pull out of his bedroom, which has, like, as you're pulling out, it has, like, a castle there. Uh-huh. And, you know, all these sort of fairy tale elements. And I feel like this is, um, this is Wes Craven's statement about, again, parents who say that these movies are too scary, that these stories, are, that children need to be shielded from this. What I think he's saying here is, no, children live in stories. They need to be told stories. Stories need to be kept alive. I mean, literally in the movie, if the story isn't kept alive, evil comes out, right? right? And this story that she had been shielding him from this whole time, that everybody told her she needed to shield him from, she turns to the front and starts reading to him. Mm -hmm. You know, like, uh, that's the way that we defeat the evil is by continuing to tell the story. And we need to tell stories to our children and not be afraid to do so. And I love that message. I just absolutely... Absolutely love it. And it's such a great way to end the series. Um, you know, Robert England, up until recently, has, has made appearances at, you know, festivals and whatnot in his makeup. Sometime earlier this year, um, he said, I'm done. And he said, I'm going to do one more. I'll put the makeup on one more time. And you can understand why. It took six hours to apply every single time. So mm. that could get old. And so... As of right now, it looks pretty unlikely that we're going to be seeing a Robert England Freddy movie again. And while that's a little bit sad because I love them so much, I really do feel like this really caps off the series really well. You've got Freddy versus Jason, but that's kind of its own standalone thing. I mean, this really bookends the the true series. Oh yeah, so well. It's the fitting end to it, and and again, in typical Wes Craven style. I mean, he was an English teacher, professor, right? I think. I mean, the guy knows what he's doing, and he pulls from strong literary sources. He's a fantastic writer. He knew how to make this. How to redeem everything Mm -hmm. and kind of bring it back around and and encapsulate it. Well, and take advantage of it, too. You know, Mm -hmm. take advantage of the way that things had turned out. You just, you acknowledge it and you work with it. And it almost, you know, it it seems like it was meant to play out that way. Like, we wouldn't have gotten this movie if the other movies hadn't devolved into something else. Yeah, because it comments on that whole thing. Mm -hmm. Now, there was a reboot, right? A A remake? remake of the first one? Okay. I I wouldn't even tell you to watch it. Oh, I never, even the completest in me was like, I really don't even want to see this it was awful i mean they didn't do anything innovating you know it's they just tried to retell the same story almost shot for shot they focused up a little bit more on the molestation part Uh um uh, and they freddie was all cgi and it just doesn't work oh really yeah i mean like 
I mean, Jackie Earl Haley, the actor, played him, but they did all CGI on his face, and it, it looks fake. It looks like mm. a video game, and it's not scary. I did not like it at all. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <clears throat> so hopefully that's the end of that. Hopefully. We'll you it. know that they'll remake it again at some point, and it's just too valuable of a property to just let go. It's going to it's gonna make money. Yeah. Um, maybe not huge blockbuster money, but it'll bring in people because there are so many fans. Well, and regardless, Freddy's Place is pretty much forever cemented yep. along with Frankenstein and Dracula yep. in, in cinema. Way more so, I think, personally, than like Jason and, and many of those other characters. He's more interesting. so much more there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just so much meatier. Well, thank you again for listening to Two Guys in a Chainsaw. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. If you like us on Facebook and leave us a comment, maybe we can have a little conversation. Yeah. Uh, you can tell us what you think and suggest other movies for us to see. Until then, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With Two Guys in a Chainsaw. Uh-huh.